Hello, my name is John O'Connell, and welcome to AMX Fika Leadership Podcast. So over these podcasts, I'll be speaking to some inspirational and innovative data and analytic contributors from across industry and the health and care sectors. I'll be asking each of them to share with us some of the exciting work they have underway, which is helping to shape the health and care analytics space, as well as asking some of them their motivational insights into their career paths to date. So why FICA? FICA is a social phenomenon in Sweden, I thought I'd borrow. It's a legitimate reason to set aside some really quality time to catch up with friends, family and colleagues over a coffee and a cake. So joining me today is Adrian Jonas, Chief Analyst for the Northwest Region in NHS England. And one of Adrian's key passions is for the development of data and analytical as a profession. So welcome, Adrian. We're really delighted to have you uh, join us on AMX FICA podcast. Thank you very much, John. Uh, good afternoon and good, af- uh, well, it might be morning for some listeners, but good afternoon, yep. good morning, good evening. <laughs> Great. And Adrian, as we always say with all our guests, the most important is this fika and it's coffee and a cake with friends. What's your preference? Is it tea, coffee, and what would be your favourite cake with, with that? Um, so with me right now, John, and yep. you might be able to see this on screen yourself, but yeah, I have I can indeed, a yeah. millionaire's shortbread, homemade. Uh, I, I'm afraid to say I definitely do have a sweet tooth. Yeah. Um, and uh, yes, that's why I think I have to do so much fitness to to keep me slim. The amount of sugary calories I, I put on, and I am on a, a cup of tea because it's afternoon as we're recording this. I'm a three coffees in the morning and three or four teas in the afternoon, chat. Similar to myself, on that with a coffee in the morning, but brilliant, yes. So, Adrian, when we we last spoke, you said about your career, which I think is really interesting in the sense that it was kind of outside health. Um, would you be able to sort of talk to us and share with our listeners some of your sort of your roles today? Because you mentioned you, you obviously you were in uh, Nice, and I think you're still there, advising as a strategic role. Um, your sort of pathway and to where you ended up today as kind of chief analyst for the region. How did you sort of end up to where you were today? Absolutely, John. And I'd say um, my career is certainly probably different to any any normal routes uh, into senior roles in health analytics at the moment. And I'd I'd go right back really to sort of even my late teenage years and and during my undergraduate that um, I I went both through sort of office of training in in the Territorial Army and uh, also to, to help uh, fund my my beer tokens through university. Worked as a a door supervisor, and and then in my my gap year between under and post grad, uh, became operations manager of that company. And I think both of those sort of leading like a troop of twenty eight people, lead, managing sort of seventy eighty uh, door supervisors. I think were fundamental in terms of. Um, some building blocks, if you like, for sort of softer skills later in my career and, and particularly sort of leadership roles and back into management because um, I'm sure most most of your listeners will uh, reflect or even be in junior analytical roles themselves where it, it can often be quite a jump between being the analyst and the project manager to suddenly managing other people. So that's why I, I, I go that far back. But yes, my, my postgrad was then a, a master's in operational research. And yep. the, the last part of that was actually a, a project forecasting um, pay drift in the NHS pay bill for the Department of Health. So really enjoyable. Uh, great time working with the 
the Department of Health Workforce Analysis team in Leeds um, and was then lucky enough to get on the Government Operational Research Service or GORS graduate scheme. Um, I actually chose then to work in HMRC, so, so tax. Um, absolutely no regrets on that decision, even thinking how my career's panned out all these years later, uh, because the, the one thing that they, they offered and delivered on was, I think, filling a lot of development gaps around, sort of at the time, playing with big, big operational data sets, lots of coding. And, and yes, I, I spent four years at HMRC doing everything from building your, your sort of big credit risk artificial intelligence models and in, embedding them operationally to doing some economic policy work to e even a, a couple of uh, statistical publications. Uh, I then went on to the Foreign Office, uh, initially commercial management information, quickly promoted into a head of analysis and management infra information role there. Um, Absolutely fabulous time, lived, worked some very long hours in London, uh, did a bit of capacity building and a few crisis missions abroad as well. And then the, the, the honest truth is that uh, my wife at the time fell pregnant with our first child and we moved back out of London, uh, which, which meant um, it, it was quite difficult, if you like, uh, the role for various reasons uh, around security, access to data, and, and and even just culture at the time, John. And I'm sure many listeners will uh, it will resonate with them how far the public service has come during the pandemic, actually, in terms of smarter working, as opposed to um, that. Unfortunately, at the time, the culture of you. You, you must be in the office three, four days a week. So I, I went on a, a series of secondments to to cabinet office, uh, spent a good 18 months uh, coming up with the strategy for the consolidation of the estate across the Northwest region, the, the government hub programme, and then spent a, another year or so in Prime Minister's Implementation Unit as Principal Analyst for Home and Foreign Affairs. Um, and then the, to... to Stop a long story short, uh, eventually the, the role in, in NICE came up, which was mm. Manchester-based, um, an organisation I was uh, aware of and uh, had, had a very good reputation. And it really wanted to make the, the transformational step, if you like, from a focus on clinical trials and its decision-making to, to basically what was commonly known as real-world data, real-world evidence. And I would say that was basically any sort of data, just opening new horizons. So that's how I, I became involved in NICE. Um, a fabulous time there. And that's the reason why I, I've still remained as a strategic advisor, just doing a, it, it's been no more than two or three hours per month, the, the, the odd thing advising on a commercial procurement or uh, a paper for the spending review, for instance. But um, it, it's it's a great organisation, but one one thing I was finding is it's it's also um, quite small, and in the pandemic in particular, um, although we did a lot of great work, it, it it often felt like we were reliant on the research community, on academia. Um, so when the chance to be more operationally facing materialised in, in this role. In, in the northwest, um, I, I 
expressed an interest, went through the formal recruitment and then went went off. It was delighted to take up the post and I'm, I'm sure we'll get into that shortly. No, fantastic. And thank you for sharing that amazing journey. And, and moving on from that, when we, when we last spoke as well, you said that your new role obviously is more of a matrix a role in a sense managed between both, I suppose, the regional director you mentioned was Amanda Doyle and also centrally for NHS England with Andy Jackson, I think he reports into to Ming. So for, I'm interested for our listeners on that. And, and how, how does that kind of work? And what do you think, what have you experienced some of the benefits of kind of working that way? Um, and just before I answer that, John, just re- reflecting on uh, the point you made then, I'd, I'd say yeah. in, my, in my history, uh, there's mm. been a lot of successes, but a lot of lessons learned as well. And, and yeah. I'd, I'd emphasise to anyone that, um, particularly when you think you might be going through low times in your career or difficult times, they're, they're probably the periods that you learn from most and that you reflect on in later years and be extremely valuable in terms of your historic development. Um, I think, again, in terms of the evolution of uh, the public sector, since um, we're seeing uh, an increased uh, number of matrix managed organisations. And I think in, in my case, it's proving absolutely fabulous. I'm I'm really enjoying it that that relationship between the regional director and, and Andy Jackson and Ming Tang centrally. Um, so the new directorate for the the chief data analytical officer, which is Ming, um, literally formed in full on the first of September, basically bringing together the the three core. Um, analysis teams across NHS England and improvement. So the improvement analysts, the performance analysts, and the data and intelligence services days. I think I've got that right. Um, And it's now sort of um, about, in in terms of volume, that that, that retro's about 650 people. And it presents a real opportunity for, I think, what to have a strong core, a strong centre for what we want to achieve with data analysis across the health and social care sector. And that's where, um, although my my governance, if you like, and my own team's work is largely set by the region and customers and uh, Amanda Doyle at the top of that tree, if you like, I, I'm also really enjoying uh, leading on a couple of things for, for Ming. Um, there has been uh, a sort of change management portfolio um, jointly with uh, another deputy director called Camelia Williamson, who's absolutely fabulous. Uh, we're also looking at um, the, the future of evalu- evaluation together and considering how we can apply uh, an international dimension to all the work of um the, the director, and I'm sure that will be no surprise given my background as a head of analysis in the Foreign Office. But um, the, we are, and it relates to change management, we are absolutely on a journey. Uh, all the things we want to achieve in terms of better collaboration, cohesion, communication, working as one big group, um, we, we will get there. I'm, I'm extremely excited about it and hopefully um, although there's always apprehension across some some pockets with any change, I think that, that there's so many benefits to be gained by this. And seeing that sort of, I suppose, the vision from, from, from NHS England cascading down into regions and further down to ICSs as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and that's where, so so as a regional team, mm. I think that the future is very much being that. Um, I, I've often said to my own team that. 
Sometimes we focus too heavily on analysis when communication needs to be such a core part of the role and that they can link into matrix groups with central analytical teams who are lot yeah. looking at analysing things nationally. But then can also, we, we can be the hub then to communicate back to the newly forming uh, ICS analytical teams. And in, in the Northwest, for those not aware, we, we have three la rather large systems sort, sort of bubbling around 2 million each in terms of the population they served, Greater Manchester, uh, Langston, South Cumbria, and Cheshire and Merseyside. So, and, and they are all at very different levels of maturity. So it's, it's working with them. And as I say, trying to improve communications with those forming teams and then the sort of providers, the, the other partners across the region. Fascinating. Right, thanks for sharing that with us. And Adrian, one of your passions you mentioned as well is about obviously uh, from your background as well, from the professional and the civil services, about obviously development of data analytics as a profession itself. And we've recently seen some of the publications that have come out from NHS uh, X around what good looks like framework for digital uh, in, in relation to digital transformation. What does good look like for data analytics as a profession? What do you think good looks like for that? Very good question, John. So um, one of the things I, I skimmed over that, obviously I mentioned in my career being part of the Gores Grant Scheme, but that um, as, as I worked through the sort of civil service grades, I, I also became a one of the head of professions for, for both the Foreign Office and then later Cabinet Office, and that included um, also taking a sort of board role for all the departments with sort of smaller groups of analysts. Sort of, um, so it, it was around 18 different departments, arms length bodies with probably a dozen max or, or less. Um, so that's where I, I think there's always been a passion since I came into health to professionalise health analysis, data science in the same way we had in the civil service. And what what I certainly don't want to do in that sense is try and forgive the analogy, hammer a square peg into a round hole. We we need to make sure it's something that's right and, and works for the for the nuances we see in health. Um, and you, you know I mean there's there's in in that umbrella if you like of an analytical function, there's uh, in health obviously uh, various different informatician roles that yeah, yeah. perhaps weren't, weren't in central government, so it's important to capture them. But to, to really answer your question, absolutely, that professionalisation needs leadership, yeah. uh, governance, networks, uh, talent management, standards and competencies, and uh, I think curriculum and qualifications underpinning it. Um, and we need to ensure it, it, it means, you know what I mean, going back to yeah. my point on people coming from different professions, if you like, whether they be an economist or a business intelligence analyst, they all have a different job to do, but they're all equally valued. Thanks for sharing that. There's some really good stuff on that. And on the leadership piece as well, I think helping to drive that through is absolutely fundamental to it, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think that the roles and responsibilities of a head of profession in government, which um, I, I think several of my colleagues and hopefully my, myself in, embodying the NHS and health and social care as well, sort of being visible, uh, building professional skills, um, ensuring champion learning development. And that's where yep. my, myself, for instance, I'm actually to, to broaden my development this year. I'm taking part in the in 
Imperial University led a digital health leadership program, okay. building partnerships. Always resharpening the saw, as I say. Always got to keep learning. All, all key. Yes, um, I, I wish I wish I had time to learn some new coding languages, but uh, <laughs> not enough in the day. So I'll, I'm stuck, I think, with my SQL and SAS skills rather than R and Python. Brilliant. We're also we were, we were chatting earlier that um, obviously with the publication of the of the new data strategy, data saves lives, and it talks about you know helping to reshape uh, health and care with data, and sets out a new vision um, for being what they class as kind of I suppose more efficient, responsive, uh, and personalised uh, to deliver safer care for the northwest. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing the implementation roadmap for that strategy now needs to be developed, and that would be probably I guess yourself and the team. What, what kind of your vision for the Northwest region and what, what do you think are going to be some of the key challenges and parts of programmes you'd be focusing on from in Northwest? So um, I mentioned, John, com communication being vital yeah. to, to my regional role and my team's role. And with that, I'd say communication and collaboration. So that's where um, my experience of change management as well uh, um, change fails the moment you try and be too directive, too top-down in the yeah. thinking. Yeah. So for me, ensuring the Northwest implementation plan is very much created with a culture of empowered accountability yeah. and thinking from all corners of the region is absolutely pivotal. So that's where when, when the data strategy first went on it out in, in terms of its publication, its period of um, in, in draft for public engagement, I, I made sure we, we worked with the Northwest Informatics Skills Development Network here um, to, to make sure we're reaching as many sort of analysts from uh, across providers as well as your sort of chief informatics officers and your digital directors as well. Um, I've actually got, shortly after we're recording this later this week, I've got two days uh, at a conference in Blackpool, which is, yeah. I'm so excited about that, John, because there's a good sort of eight to a dozen people who I've been working with the past six months who I'm going to meet for the first time, oh, fantastic. Um, if not more. But it, it, what we're going to do with that is that I'm working with um, Emma Wright, who's a director of BI at one of the providers in the Northwest, to deliver two sessions on data analytics. And we're really going to pose some of the questions about implementation and, and collect and gather some feedback from um, those that are attending. Um, but I think the, the key things for me at the same time are, well, for... for, for for my team, it's always been, as, a, as a new team since April, it's been about firstly continuing to deliver standard products to time and quality yeah. and to be flexible and responsive to ad hoc demands from our customers. And as we've ensured our, our reputation has grown and the, the yeah. team has done an absolute fabulous job um, to, to ensure this, um, it's been about, well, how can we ensure we're, we're not just being reactive, if you like, to the, the ask uh, the, uh, about data analysis, but leading the change, lead, really getting involved in the dialogue and leading the decision-making process. Um, and we're absolutely, we're, we're trying to, if you like, automate more, which releases capacity to do more right. of the insightful, interpretive, predictive, prescriptive analytics to solve some key problems. Mm. Um, again, I'm 
you know what I mean, to emphasise that this is a journey and it, yeah. it, it will take time, but it, it's an exciting one we're on and we are definitely moving forward in that process of evolution. So. That's wonderful to hear, Adrian. But and I, and I, I take it just, a, I suppose, an observation even from from my side. I suppose that I suppose the technology is hard, but it's made simpler in the sense of there's some really good partners, technical partners we can work with from from within the NHS and, and outside. I think the SME expertise around data is there, but it's as always the case, as you mentioned at the very beginning, was kind of the people challenge and bringing people on board and feeling that they own that strategy, are a part of it. I think it's fundamental, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, and those people range from, from your analysts, as we've yeah. largely and rightly focused on, to, to also your customers. Yeah. And I think that I'm sure most will agree that the pandemic has, one of the positives has been the appetite for data, the appetite for analysis and evidence-based decisions. Yeah. But certainly in, in, in the Northwest region, We've also seen that that as a double-edged sword for a real hunger for the latest data. Yeah. And it, yeah. Um, the the emperor's new clothes of visualizations, if you like, as well, or um, a dashboard soup. Yeah. <laughs> at that times, as opposed to that, I think stepping back and allowing the analyst time to to be that consultant as well to work through the problem structuring and hand in hand with the customer to then figure out okay how what's the best way to to solve or address this problem or or, or even to the, the best way to develop a new indicator for monitoring and evaluation you know in, in many sort of i suppose it can be a bit of a mad rush towards using the best and newest ai and machine learning but it goes back to the fundamental thing about what's the question or problem that you're trying to address and do we really understand that at its core yeah. absolutely and and a, a big challenge for the the world of artificial intelligence as well is still um, you know in timeliness access of data and uh, human behaviours around utilisation of AI and um, as, as I touched on earlier it, it's something that I, I had to work through many years ago in a completely different setting so it, in some sometimes it feels like deja vu but <laughs> others it's it's completely different I think that but. Yeah, the, the, the important thing is finding those quick wins that make our yeah. analysts' life easier. And in the Northwest region as well, I think you, you'll you'll hear about uh, many people say, oh, analysts, uh, sorry, analysis is in greater demand than supply, yeah. uh, which I'd agree on. But I yeah. wouldn't say we've necessarily got a capacity uh, or, or capability rather issue yeah. in, in region. I'd say it's more that we're still we've still got more to do in terms of operationalizing some fabulous networks and therefore cutting down on the duplication that, that we we see across the systems yeah um, and, and I think what as I said with, with ICS transformation I think there's a real opportunity to operationalize those networks and and really cut down on that and and become a more effective, cohesive com community from provider to central uh, NHS England Department of Health. It's kind of a healthy reset in a way, isn't it? Absolutely. And also, following on from that, you mentioned as well that um, you obviously got some interesting work uh, programs of work underway. You mentioned one was a, a kind of a deep dive uh, to the impacts of COVID across the Northwest, but also looking at strategic demand to support elective recovery. I mean, is there anything that you 
you're able to share on that? I, I believe when you said you said the northwest, I think was hit a little bit more harder than other regions. I think with COVID, wasn't it? Yeah, so so it was a very interesting piece of work. Firstly, to sort of trial the the deep dive way of working to analysis that um, I, I, me and my, my team in Prime Minister's implementation unit used to follow. So very much agreeing a, a scope around an issues tree model, and then um, it being a mixture of sort of quant, qual, and uh, but most importantly, keeping it time bound. Yeah, um, sort of six six to eight week piece of work, um, but one of the main reasons for for this this one was that I, I think that um, the the senior leadership team was starting to be concerned that the northwest region and uh, Amanda's predecessor were were anecdotally pinning performance on the impacts of the pandemic. So so it was important to to basically evidence that we. We had as a region been been worst hit, and um, absolutely, our analysis showed the evolution of the pandemic was completely different comparatively in the northwest to the rest of the country, and we saw significant higher case rates, significantly higher hospitalizations and deaths compared with England overall. Um, and then the the sort of exploration, if you like, of health and social economic factors yeah. indicated that. Fa- oh, Although we could never, uh, because of the amounts of confounders, pin anything down conclusively, but certainly there, there was factors such as deprivation, age yeah. demographics, and multi-generational households that were clearly associated with those higher rates. And those are all issues, if you like, from a health inequalities lens facing the Northwest region. Um, and yeah, we, we in fact had, I, I think the Northwest had about 46 more deaths, uh, yeah, yeah, 46 more deaths per 100,000 from causes considered as preventable compared to England. Um, So that's where, you know, we've used this analysis to now feed into some of our elective recovery modelling and uh, uh, really try and predict uh, demand over the next couple of years and are now working with local and national colleagues to ensure investment is appropriately directed investment is appropriately directed to tackling those issues yeah. and again where we can, where as a team we can do more in terms of the predictive prescriptive yeah. to, to really display such and there are Adrian as well looking at probably some of those wider social determinants and what can be done outside of just healthcare to sort of ensure that that be another pandemic comes around we hopefully not in the, in the distant future they can start leveling some of that out really Absolutely, I think I think um, the, to come back to the phrase um, in, in investment that yeah. we there's obviously some of those wider determinants require long term investments that they're, yeah. they're not going to be solved in the next three to five years, but that's where we we have to think in terms of okay some of our um, analysis that how um, how do we ensure. Uh, given the time taken to see benefits, positive impacts from from that longer term piece, how we how we keep the delivering health and social care across the region in the meantime, and and uh, particularly as we 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 try and recover and and reduce some of our waiting lists. No, well, thanks, Adrian, for sharing those insights. That's absolutely fascinating. I'm just looking at looking back at my notes here. You know, talking about I think when you started off about the experience and the journey that you're on, layer upon layer, and, and your early career sort of builds up 
upon itself in terms of early management of teams and, and how you, you play that back in. I think you, you, you mentioned about opportunities to comments for people on the call, you know, when they come up, encourage people to take them as well. But what I thought was really good as well, you talked about early on, you said about that when you're in that difficult time and the job feels tough and hard and you don't feel like that's probably when you learn the most. And I would con totally concur with that when people ask you for change and you're outside of your comfort zone. So really good uh, sort of lesson there as well. Absolutely, and, and there's a there's a model that I, I keep referring to with my own team about um, performance and, and mental health, and very important, I think, to at times be in that stress and strain zone. Yeah. But then talking to people before you find yourself in the crisis zone on the far right. Absolutely. That's the one yeah. to avoid. But absolutely, there's you you will find out new things about yourself in the stress and strain zone, which will serve you well in the future. But being, being able to aware be aware of when it's happening so yeah you don't yeah, go too far absolutely. and then also i think you mentioned about which is a really good one is that piece about the communication is key and the, and the role that you're playing i think from the region which is really good about being that two-way comms both you know in inwards and outwards to different parts of the system which is absolutely fantastic as well and also i think you, i thought was really good about the role of kind of you know the data strategy and what you can do and what it means to, to you and your area. You mentioned as well with, with people classing as EDI that equality and diversity and inclusion from the leadership perspective. If, if we're making the data strategy land as it should do, everybody is as a, as a play and a say in it um, and, and make sure it's diverse and it includes everybody. Absolutely. Um, and one thing in, in terms of diversity that um, I think as as a leader in analysis, we, we should absolutely be doing more in terms of um, ensuring more posts uh, are open wider to reflect the population we serve. Uh, and that's where I, I've more recently been trying to do a, a bit more work with schools because in, in the past I found that the, the main challenges were coming from the pipeline mm -hmm. in terms of um, academia. Yeah. And having spoken and engaged with institutions, they were saying, well, these are this is the spread statistically of applicants we're we're getting in. So um, yes, the 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 more um, we can do really to engage with communities and ensure right. sort of um, particularly more. For, for instance, I, I'm working with Bolton Muslim Girls School at the moment to ensure more more young girls from a, a, a northern Asian background get involved in math science. I, I think it will be fabulous. And it, and it goes on to, I think, your last piece, which I think feeds nicely into that, where you talked about, you know, that importance piece of shaping the strategy through communication collaboration. But you mentioned a term which is really good, I thought, empowered accountability. Well, you can't be empowered if you don't feel part of it. Because you're steered towards that, which is really good. Adrian, no, thanks for, for, for sharing all of that with us. And I'm just thinking, you know, there's an awful lot we, we covered on that. What do you do outside of your passion for healthcare to, to relax? <laughs> if, if you were to speak to my manager, he'd probably turn around to you and say that Adrian comes to work to relax. So, uh, John, um, look, I, I, I stopped playing rugby a, a number of years ago and I've since become a, a very amateur triathlete, though I, I also enjoy a bit of mountaineering, climbed some, some big hills. We recently done the Three Peaks in 24-hour challenge as well. But, but yes, I, uh, I, I think I... I I've got a, a a marathon in a couple more weeks that I've just signed up to 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 accompany a friend and then um training probably for my third Ironman in a probably 2023 to be honest but yes that's me outside of work fantastic and how can we how can we follow you Adrian do you have a Twitter or LinkedIn do you have any handles as they call it um so 
Going back to my point on communication, um, yep. self-development point, I need to <laughs> update my own LinkedIn page, which is currently sat rather static. Um, and then I, I think we're, we're going to be trying to ensure we, we make the most of digital platforms, like particularly the, the Analyst X community, which yep. um, is Fantastic. absolutely fabulous. I think how that's grown. Um, and, um, and yes, to really ensure we we have the right digital mechanisms for engagement across the region and back to the centre and, and wider. Because the um, as much as you know, obviously there's the emphasis on on my my focus in terms of the actual role, I'd still like to ensure anything we do in the northwest where it might be innovative yeah. it is then adopted and spreads across the rest of the country. And and that's where. Me and my my sort of six peers, the other regional leads, do we we meet at least twice weekly and ensure that we have that uh, communication as well. Fantastic. No, well, thanks for sharing all those insights, and uh, we'll have to get you back on again once this strategy starts evolving. But no, thanks uh, for sharing your your insights. Really great. No problem. Thanks, John. Thank you, everyone, for listening. So I'd like to thank our speaker for joining us today, and for everybody else tuning in to this podcast. Uh, look forward to seeing you in the future.